What up, y'all? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we're going to look at 10 verses tonight. A pretty famous story about a guy named Zacchaeus. So if you've ever been in church, there's an old school church song that describes the life of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Anybody familiar with that song? If you do, you're pretty old school. Grew up in a church like me. If not, don't worry. We're going to unpack his story uh, to, tonight. And uh, just to give you some context, we're in this series called Living Beyond Ourselves. And the whole premise of this series is to get us to think and to live beyond ourselves. Maturity in the faith is where we think less about us and more about God and what God wants to do in our lives for other people. That's how we know that we're growing in our relationship with God, where it's less about us and more about God and what he wants to do through us to impact other people. So tonight we're going to look at this guy, a story in the book of Luke, a guy named Zacchaeus. And so we're going to look at verse 1. So join with me on screen and in your Bibles it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, all the short people say amen. Come on. Shout out to all the short people. <laughs> he could not see over the crowd. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, that's an important detail. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. And said to him, Zacchaeus, how did even Jesus know his name? He's the Lord. He knows everybody. Called out his name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What a boss move. You invite yourself to someone's house. I'm coming to your house. Make me some lunch today. All right. That's what Jesus can do because he's the Messiah. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Wow. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, or look, Lord, here and now. You know when I read that? You guys remember? Here and now. I promise. Okay, never mind. When I read the Bible, like this kind of stuff pops into my head. It's weird. But <laughs> that's what happens. So here and now, I give... Half of my possessions to the poor. Wow, that's a lot. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wow, that's a lot. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I want to preach a message to us tonight from the title... Living beyond our walls. Living beyond our walls. If you're ready for the word, say yeah. yeah. If you want God to speak to your heart, say oh yeah. oh yeah. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that this word is truth. God, so much gems in this short, simple story. But Lord, help me to preach it in a way that makes sense, God. We want to hear from you, not from a preacher. So give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is soft, open, and receptive for everything that you want to deposit into our lives today. We thank you that one word from you can radically change the trajectory of our lives. So that's the expectation that we have, that you would speak to us in a real tangible way. So we thank you for your word. In beautiful name we pray. Amen. And amen. Living beyond our walls. 
my son just turned seven months. Kind of, kind of quick. Uh, I wish I had a picture, but I don't want to like brag about how good looking my son is. And he gets it from me. Um, but seven months, and so I was just reflecting uh, and uh, realizing that we got to start to plan a baby party and stuff like that. That's like coming real fast. Uh, so he's crawling in and he's climbing and doing all sorts of stuff. But when he was born, before he got born, me and my wife were having numerous conversations about what we were going to name my son. Uh, I wanted to name him Cooper. I just thought that he was going to be an athlete, and that's like such an athletic name, you know, Coop. Like, I just thought, like, I would envision everybody in the stadium yelling, Coop, 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 you know. But my wife hated that name. She's like, what the heck? What kind of name is that? And I was just like, Cooper is a cool name. So we were going back and forth, and she really resonated with this name, Judah, which ended up being my son's name. And you know why? Because she's the boss, and she calls all the shots. But we're going back and forth in this conversation. And so up until the day that he was born, we really didn't know what we were going to, at least I didn't know what we were going to name him. I was still holding on to the fact that we were going to name him Cooper. Uh, but in reality, it was already sealed when she said it's going to be Judah. So I'm thinking that, hey, maybe I have a chance to keep the word Cooper in there somehow. So he gets born and then a couple hours later, we're still trying to figure out, I get a chance to hold him for the first time. And so I'm holding him and I say this, Coop, what's up, baby, Coop? And you know what happened? My son said, <laughs> and I was like, all right, you win. We are not naming him Cooper. You told us by your response and your reaction that we're not going to name you Cooper. So we ended up naming him Judah. And Judah, there's a lot of symbolism to that name, but it basically means like praise, give praise to God and so forth. And uh, for us, we just knew that there's a lot of significance in a name. How many of us know that a name, there's significance to a name. You don't just name anybody anything, but anytime you're going to name someone something, there's meaning to it. There should be meaning to the name. There should be some sort of emphasis on the name because it will describe and depict the type of person you want that person to be by the power of the name. And so all throughout scripture, we see Jesus or God himself uh, really changing the names of people because it didn't reflect the way in which he wanted them to be. In fact, a lot of the people in the Old Testament, God would rename them. Why? Because he wanted them to live or he wanted their name to match who they were or how he called them to be. And so that brings us to this story that we're reading because in this particular story, we get to know the name of the person involved in the story. Not too many stories gives us the name of the person but the name of this person has some significance to us. The name Zacchaeus, which was mentioned in this text, literally means clean and pure. But the irony of his name is this. He wasn't living up to his name. The reality about Zacchaeus is he wasn't clean and pure. The reality of his life is he was probably corrupt and prejudiced because he wasn't Living a life that aligned with the name that he was given. But how many of us are thankful that all of that changed when he had a true encounter with the Lord? How many of us know that one encounter with Jesus will radically change how you see yourself but also how you live your life? And so Zacchaeus has a true encounter with Jesus which changed the way he saw himself but also changed the way that he lived his life. Life And so from the story that we just read, we're going to pull out three truths about an encounter with Jesus that will transform how we see ourselves, but also how we live our lives. The first point in our notes is this. Jesus came for those 
beyond saving. Write that down. He came for those beyond saving. Beyond saving. So three details that we see in this text in verses 1 to 4 describes or gives us an insight to who this guy Zacchaeus really was. So we know that his name, his name means clean, clean and pure. But we also see that he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He was also short, so he needed to climb a tree. And these details are divinely placed into the text to give us an idea of who this guy really is. How many of us know that the Bible is truth and every word in the Bible has significance and meaning? So when you're reading it and if something of detail is described in the text, it's time for us to understand or ask questions. Why are you giving me this detail? So the first thing that we see was that he was a chief tax collector. And for us, we don't necessarily fully understand what that means, but he basically worked for the government. He's kind of like the IRS in his day. And... Uh, to make this a little bit more meaningful is that uh, the Jewish people at this time were conquered by a, a nation called Rome. And what the Romans would do is any place that they would conquer, they would heavily tax the people because they needed those resources to continue to fund their kingdom that they were building. And so what they would do, they were smart. They were smart. They would employ residents of the area that they just took over and give them jobs, government jobs, and their job was to collect money from people because they knew that the people who lived in the community would know where the money was. So they were smart. We're going to employ these people and give them a certain amount of money that we want them to tax. And here's the kicker. Anything else that they wanted to tax, they could pocket that money for themselves. And so these tax collectors would be getting money from their own people, basically ripping them off so that they can pay the government, but also that they can fill their own pockets. They were ripping off their own people. So if you knew the Jewish community, they would see a tax collector and be thinking, man, these guys are the scum of the earth. Why? They're ripping us off. We're supposed to be on the same team. However, you traded sides and now you're working with the enemy. So they were considered the lowest of the low in this time. And so not only was he a tax collector, the detail in this gives us extra idea that he was a chief tax collector. So he was really good at stealing money from his own people. That he got promoted to the highest rank of the land. And so... The Jewish people would be thinking about this tax collector as this is the scum of the earth. But how many of us are thankful that no matter what you've done in your life, that doesn't stop you from encountering Jesus. In fact, if you think that you're the worst of the worst, you're in good grounds to be with Zacchaeus. You're a perfect candidate for Jesus to encounter your life. Jesus came not for the people who got their act together, but for those who know that they need a savior. And Zacchaeus was a prime candidate for the love of Christ. So that's the first detail that we see. The second detail that we see is this. He was wealthy. Now when the Bible calls you wealthy, you know you're rich, rich. Like you're rich. When the Bible calls you beautiful, you know you got it going on. You know what I'm saying? The Bible is true. So the Bible describes Zacchaeus as wealthy. He had lots of money. And lots of stuff, but by the way he got his riches, led to an empty outcome. Because he needed to 
rip people off and hurt people along the way, the more he accumulated money, the more empty he felt. Why? Because he had nobody to celebrate that with. He had nobody to enjoy that wealth with. A lot of the people that he hurt who could have been his own friends became enemies. Why? Because he had put money over relationships. And so although he had a lot of wealth, he still felt empty. And I don't care how much money you have in your life, money makes a terrible savior. Money will not save your life. It might provide a lot of luxuries and so forth that you can enjoy, but money will never ever fill the void in your heart. Only Jesus can fill that. Now, there's nothing wrong with having money. But if money halves you, that's where the problem begins. And so Zacchaeus was so money hungry, yet he still felt so empty. So he was wealthy. Here's the third detail that we see. He was short. Man, if you're a short person, you got to love this text. Because this Lord, the Lord is resonating with you. He's trying to speak to you. And he was so short that he couldn't see over the crowd, so he needed to climb a tree. And the thing I love about this detail is this. All of us in some area of our lives feel like we don't measure up. What I mean by that is this. All of us has some part of our life where we feel like, man, I'm short in this area. It might be your looks or skills or so forth. I don't care what it is, but each and every one of us in this room tonight has an area of our lives where we feel like we don't measure up or we feel like we're below the average of everybody else. I don't know what that is for you, but we all have that area in our lives. And so here's what we do. We compensate. Zacchaeus needed to climb a tree to compensate for his shortness. You and I, we don't necessarily climb trees, but we climb a lot of things to make up for these areas in our lives where we feel short in. You might start to use your insecurities as uh, fuel to maybe excel at school, excel at work, or excel in uh, gaining influence and so forth, maybe trying to accumulate money and wealth and so forth. But you're using your insecurities as a fuel to do well in an area because you're compensating for the area that you feel insecure in. All of us do this. In some point in our life, we're overcompensating for the areas that we feel short in. So I don't care what you're going through. We all have a compensation in our life. And I would argue this, that the people who look the most put together on the outside probably are the most insecure on the inside. They're probably overcompensating for an area of their life where they feel short in. But the good news for all of us is this. I don't care how bad you think you are. I don't care how short you feel in a certain area of your life, how, many, how much money you have, how many insecurities you might be wrestling with. Here's the truth for all of us. None of us are beyond the reach of Christ. Which means this. We all have an opportunity to experience the love of God. I don't care if you think that you're on the far end of the deal where you've blown it, you made so many mistakes, how could anybody love me because of what I've done? You're a candidate for the love of God. I don't care if you feel like you're insecure in an area. If people really found out who I really am, they're not going to love you. God wants to reveal his love to you in a real, tangible way. There's no one here tonight that's beyond the love of Christ. If you feel like you're beyond the love of Christ, that's the lie of the enemy because the truth of the matter is this. Jesus loves each and every one of us and his love goes beyond our shortcomings. Here's the truth. Our shortcomings should point us to our Savior. 
if you really embrace your shortcomings, you would recognize that God gave that to us as a gift to point us to him. Because without him, we would feel like we got it all together. So our shortcomings reveal our need for a savior. And if we can lean in to the areas that we feel insufficient in, it will point us to the savior of the world. And his name is Jesus Christ. No one is beyond saving. Jesus' arm is not too short to save. He wants to impact us and he meets us right where we are. So Jesus came for those who believe there are beyond saving. Some people think, I can't go to church because if I did, the church will burn down. Don't worry, we got really good insurance here, okay? Come on down. This place is for imperfect people. It's not for people who got their act together. It's people who are on a journey towards perfection. And we keep on coming because it reveals to us our necessity for Jesus. That's why we're here. So if you got issues, you have a seat at Pearlside Church. Come on, somebody. Let's give God some praise because we want to be a place for people to be, feel accepted because that's the God that we serve. Second point in our notes is this. Jesus went beyond our walls to build a bridge. Write that down. Jesus went beyond our walls to build a bridge. Because Zacchaeus was who he was, the community, the Jewish community specifically did things to keep him on the outskirts. Because he was ripping them off, they started to build a wall relationally to isolate him from everybody else. And you could see that in the text. Because if you're a tall person, you don't care if a short person comes in front of you because you can still see, right? We're all trying to find and look at Jesus. You're not going to get mad at a short person coming in front of you because you still can see him. He's not blocking your line of sight, if that makes sense. But they wouldn't even let him into the crowd, which means that they were purposely, intentionally disliking him to the point that they kept him even away from the people. But that didn't stop Zacchaeus. The crowd didn't stop Zacchaeus. He made a way to get to Christ. My encouragement tonight is this. On your way to pursuing Jesus, there's always going to be obstacles that's going to try and stop you from encountering God. Don't let those obstacles stop you. In fact, look for a creative way to get around those obstacles to encounter Jesus yourself. There's always going to be opposition on your way of pursuing Christ. Don't let that obstacle stop you. In fact, use it as an opportunity to be creative. Zacchaeus climbed some trees because he knew that he wasn't going to let anything stop him from coming to Jesus. Don't let a little, maybe I was going to say sickness. Yeah, stay at home if you're sick, okay. Don't come down and spread that here. That's the one thing that we learned from COVID, okay. Let's don't share that here. But don't let negativity from other people stop you from coming to Christ. Don't let your own insecurities about how you think about yourself stop you from coming to Christ. Don't let anyone or anything in your life stop you from pursuing Jesus. Get up and keep on going. Use it as momentum to keep on pursuing God no matter what. But they were trying to keep him on the outskirts. They were trying to keep him isolated, but Jesus wouldn't let that wall stop him because he built a bridge instead. And here's where we see the bridge. Verses 5 to 7. When Jesus reached the spot, that's so good. I'm going to explain that in a little bit. He looked up. That was probably the first time someone looked up to Zacchaeus. At that point... Throughout his whole life, people are looking down on him. We hate you. You're nobody. You're, you're worthless. But how many of us are thankful that the Savior looked up to him? Woo. So powerful. He looked up and said, Zacchaeus. That was probably the first time someone ever called his name in a good tone. 
Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be at the house of a sinner. I want you to see that Jesus intentionally built a bridge when other people built walls. Other people were trying to keep Zacchaeus out. Jesus built a bridge to bring Zacchaeus in. He wasn't going to allow the isolation of the community to stop him from bringing the love that Zacchaeus definitely needed in his life. And what I love about this story is this. Zacchaeus thought he was running and climbing a tree to see Jesus. But Jesus, in fact, was walking to go and see him. Here's how we know that. When it says this, when Jesus reached the spot. What spot are we talking about? The spot where Zacchaeus was. So Zacchaeus was waiting, hoping that he might get a good sight of, of Jesus. And Jesus was walking with a beeline to go and see exactly where Zacchaeus was because he was going to have a conversation with him. And that's a good point for us because you think that you were looking after God. All the while you're realizing that God was pursuing you wholeheartedly when you didn't even know. We think we come to God on our own strength. We don't realize that the love of God was drawing us when we're at our lowest of the low. God was actively working in each and every one of our lives to bring us to a place where we can encounter him ourselves. We might think that we were getting to God. In reality, God was bringing us to himself. Because that's the God that we serve. We don't go chasing after him. He always comes chasing after us. And so Jesus made a beeline to where Zacchaeus was and initiated a conversation. Started connection and invited himself over. What a boss move to do. I'm coming to your house today. And you know what the significance of that is? That was probably the first time in Zacchaeus' life where he actually hosted a person. He had all the nice houses, all the nice cars, nobody to enjoy it with. And the Savior of the world says, I'm going to spend time with you today. I'm going to make room in my schedule so that I can have a conversation with you. We're going to connect over a meal. And for us, we don't think that a meal is anything significant. But in this time, anytime you had a, a meal with someone that really communicated that you had a relationship with them and that you fully accepted that person. That's why this was so scandalous because the people were saying, why is the Savior of the world hanging out with the lowest of the low? We don't even want to do that. Why is he doing that? Because Jesus came to build bridges when we as a people sometimes build walls. So Jesus was not going to allow the wall of the community to stop him from initiating a conversation with other people. And you and I, we need to be careful that we don't allow walls to be built in our heart that keeps people out. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes we can be guilty of building walls that keep people out. You see... With the elections, sometimes we build walls, Democratic walls or Republican walls. If you are on the other side of the spectrum, man, I'm going to build my wall in my heart to keep you out. If you are pro-vax or anti-vax, we've seen how the enemy was trying to do, use that to cause people to build walls to keep people out. You're either on this side or that side. You're either uh, a Cowboys fan or everybody else fan. You know what I'm saying? We keep those people out. You know what I'm saying? And there's either... Just a, a dog community, and I don't care what any other community. There's no such thing as a, a cat community. You keep them out. But all of us, we do that. We keep walls in our heart, and we stereotype people. You don't fit in. You stay out there. And we're just going to be safe with our own community of people here. And what Jesus was trying to communicate to us is this. 
We don't build walls. If you're a follower of Christ, we don't build walls. We build bridges. We build bridges to connect with people who we feel like don't deserve our attention. We build walls, I mean bridges, with people who feel like they don't deserve to be a part of the community. So you and I, we need to be careful because we're entering a season where we're going to be connecting with family and sometimes many of us in our own household. We've built walls around our hearts with the people that we call family. And I look, in a room this size, I know some of us are excited to eat stuffing and so forth. Some of us are dreading the fact that we're going to see some of the people that we've built walls around in our hearts. We're going to be in the same house with people that have hurt us, mistreated us, that made us feel a certain way, and we've built a wall relationally. You stay on that side of the room. <laughs> I'm going to stay on this side of the room. And Jesus is modeling for us. We got to tear down those walls. Now, that doesn't mean that we justify what they did. It doesn't mean that we condone the mistreatment that they've done in our lives. But we can't allow those hurts to become a wall that keep them out. Because the, the crazy thing about God is his love is not just for us, it's for all. Like we love when the love is for us. We have to realize the love is not just for us, but it's for everyone. Even the people that hurt us the most. Now I want you to think about this because in every area of our life we have this kind of person. I want you to think about the person that you like the least, okay? And as soon as I say that, instantly I know if names and faces are popping up in our minds, okay? There's, there's people, this, this is an easy illustration. Now I want you to think that the person that just came to your mind that you like the least, I want you to now imagine Jesus having lunch with that person. How would that make you feel that on your birthday when you wanted Jesus to come to your house, he had, he's having lunch with the person that you like the least. How would that make you feel? How many of us would feel like, man, that's messed up, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, I thought we was homies. Like, what's up? Like, you know how I feel about that person. And you know what Jesus would respond to us? Yeah, I know how you feel about that person. That's why I'm having lunch with them. Because I want to model for you what we as a church need to do. Because if we say that this is for everyone, we have to act like church is for everyone. We can't just say that with our words and not allow our actions to follow through. If we really say that we're for the lost, we need to make sure that we're actively connecting with people who are far from God. Specifically those that maybe are on our least favorite list. Because the love of God is not just for you, it's for all. So the coworker that irritates you, Jesus loves them. The boss who mistreats you, Jesus loves them. <laughs> the parent who neglects you and the family member that mistreated you, Jesus loves them too. And that's what makes this grace so scandalous because it's for the undeserving. That's what makes it amazing. None of us deserve the love of God, yet he freely gives it to us. And at one point of our lives, we have to realize before Christ, you and I were on the outside looking in. But someone built a bridge so that we can come into the community of faith. We should never, ever forget where we came from. Because we were lost at one time, thankful that God sent people and his love drawed us into his house. But before that, we were on the outside looking in. And now we have to be a people that make sure that we're looking on the outside trying to bring people into the community. That's what God wants us to model and be like. Bringing people who are far from him close. Building bridges instead of walls.
Last point in our notes is this. Our response to Jesus is to give beyond limits. We got to give beyond limits. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. First off, let me just tell you this. Nowhere in scripture says you got to give 50% of your money away. You'll never find a verse that says that. But why was that the first thing that he did? The first thing that Zacchaeus did after encountering the love of Jesus is giving away half of his possession. And they didn't stop there. The Levitical law said that if you stole someone from someone and got caught, you were supposed to repay them and add 20%. What Zacchaeus did is he doubled that. He gave four times the amount back to the people that he stole from. So what he did, he literally gave himself broke. He went from an instant to having a lot of money to giving all of that away and making amends. Because it's not just saying sorry that's important. It's making amends is what God wants with true repentance. So he made amends with people who, mis who he mistreated. And so he wasn't giving him his money back because he had to. He gave his money away because he wanted to. Jesus radically transformed the way that he saw himself. And he also transformed the way that he saw his resources and finances. He was giving his money not to earn salvation, but it was a sign that he had genuine salvation. Why, did, why would he do something like that? Because he found something that was better than money. And his name was Jesus. Only a true encounter with the Lord will radically change how you see anything else. Up until this point, money had his heart. He had an encounter with Jesus. Now Jesus had his heart and everything else he didn't even care about anymore. He got acceptance. He got love. And all of his resources now is like, man, this is not mine. I'm going to give this away to the poor. I'm going to make amends and give back to four, four times to people who... I cheated to get my wealth. So this wee little Zacchaeus gave beyond limits because he found something better than money. And his name was Jesus Christ. And when we have a true encounter with Jesus, here's what that does. It transforms how we see ourselves, but it transforms how we see our finances and our resources. So here's what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. Three things. Jesus loved Zacchaeus. Money could never love Zacchaeus the way that Jesus loved him. Now Zacchaeus, here's the trick. Zacchaeus could love the money, but the money could never love Zacchaeus back. Only Jesus could do that. Here's the second thing that Jesus did. Jesus forgave Zacchaeus. Money could never do that. Money could never forgive Zacchaeus. And here's the third thing. Jesus saved Zacchaeus for eternity. All that money that Zacchaeus had, he couldn't take it with him after this life passed. So he knew that. And so he decided to use that money as a resource to bless and to sow into other people. So for us, we can't say that Jesus truly has our hearts if we are stingy with our money. The Bible says where your, money, where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. So the more we grow in our faith, the more generous you and I are going to be. That's a sign of maturity in our faith. The generosity that flows out of our lives. Imagine those conversations that Jesus... Uh, Zacchaeus needed to have with the people that he stole from. Imagine that. He said he's going to pay back four times, which meant that he'd have to go to a, probably a lot of people to give him the money. 
probably come up to the person and say, hey, man, I owe you this. What is this? Remember all that money that I taxed before? Yeah, I took too, way too much. So I'm giving you back. Yeah, this is way too much. Yeah, I'm giving you back four times the amount. Why would you do this? Let me just tell you about this Jesus that I just encountered. Man, I thought money was everything that this world was about. I thought that this money would fill this emptiness in my heart, but it never did. The more money I got, the more empty I felt. But when I encountered Jesus, man, this emptiness in my heart was finally filled. And I realized that I have something better than money. I have someone that I've been looking for my entire life and his name is Jesus. Imagine if you are the recipient of that conversation. You'd be like, man, one, you're either crazy, but thank you. <laughs> and two, there must be something to this Jesus. And that's what, when we have a genuine encounter with Christ, that's what should be flowing out of our lives, what Jesus has done for us. That's our testimony. That's how we share our faith. You might not necessarily know the Bible, but you can tell people about what he's done for you in your life. If God has done one thing, if he's just saved your heart, that is a conversation that you can have for the rest of your life just to tell people how much this Jesus loves each and every person. So here's my takeaway for this entire message. It's this. Saved people actively seek for lost people. That's the whole point of this message. Saved people actively seek for lost people. Where did I get that? Jesus said it himself. For the Son of Man, referring to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. He wants to seek and to save. Here's what we're guilty of as, as a church people in a church community. We want to celebrate people getting saved. We don't want to do the hard part and the hard work that it takes to go and seek people who are lost. We just think that lost people are just going to come to church on their own, come to the altar, give their heart to Jesus, no effort needed. Yay, we celebrate, hands getting raised, Jesus gets glorified, people get added to the kingdom. That's how we think this is going to happen. We want to celebrate the saving. We don't want to do the hard work of the seeking. What Jesus is saying, if you want to have saving happen, it requires each and every one of us to do our part to actively do the work of seeking people. What does that mean for us? We got to start building bridges with people, people who rub us the wrong way. We can't just settle for people in our comfort zone. Yes, this love of Jesus is for everybody. We got a little bit more before we go there. You guys, we got one more video and stuff like that. So hold on, hold on. We're not there yet. I know you're making me sound really spiritual, but we're not there yet, okay? So we got to do the part of seeking. That's why we build the church the way that we're doing it. We don't want to wait for people to come to church. We want to bring church to people. So the heart of Pearlside Church is this. We want to make disciples, raise leaders, and plant churches. Why do we do that? Because we don't want to wait for someone to drive all the way over here. We want to bring church to people. So we start small things all over the community. And there's an exciting thing that we just started in Mililani. Anybody here from Mililani? We're bringing Pearlside Church to impact the community in Mililani. So take a look at it on screen. How's that? My name is Nico Cruzi, and this is my wife, Nikki, Nikki Cruzi. And we are called to plant Pearlside Church Mililani site. Six or seven years ago, um, I thought that I was always going to be a worship leader. And um, at that time, my brother-in-law, who is Pastor Chad Udani, I would egg him on and like, hey, bro, start a church in Mililani, and I'll be your worship director, dude. 
God had, had placed something in my heart uh, for the community of Midilani because there's just a huge community of people to reach out there. It's the gateway towards the North Shore because we don't have a church with our personality from Pearl City all the way around the North Shore, all the way to Ko'olau. And uh, two years ago now, Pastor Coach asked me if I wanted to step into ministry. Two months later, Pastor Norman said he wants to start something in Mililani. And that's when I opened up and, and said, I'm your guy. You know, it's been on my heart. Since then, uh, you know, God has been molding and shaping us, not only me stepping into ministry as a leader, um, but also growing and strengthening our marriage as husband and wife and as parents of four. And so far, it's been great. So just this past April is when we kind of launched small groups. And the next big one was we were looking for a site. Then God reminded me that I spoke at my first celebration of life in July. And just so happened, the MC was Mrs. Yogi, the principal of Kipapa Elementary School. She is actually a part of a prayer intercessory team for the church up the road from Kipapa Elementary School, and they've been praying for something like this to happen. So Mililani actually means a touch from heaven. It's the city that sits the highest on the island, that when the clouds fall down, they fall down and touch the mountains of Mililani. And then Mrs. Yogi said that Mililani is the pico of the island. So I believe that what happens in Mililani will have a ripple effect to the rest of the cities surrounding it. So our plan now is to continue our once a week small groups at our house on Friday evenings. And uh, we want to eventually expand into the community, meet at Mililani Town Center, branch our groups and just continue to reach the community and uh, we're gonna continue with our once a month gatherings as well as a ProSide Mililani site. Woo! Come on, let's give God praise. <clears throat> ProSide Church is an apostolic training center. Now you guys can play, make me sound real spiritual, okay? <clears throat> apostolic training center where people come here, they're gonna get saved, they're gonna get trained and equipped and we wanna send people out. This is not a comfort place. It's an equipping place, which means if you're saved here, get ready because God might want to send you to the community that you live in. And we want to see more of that happening in the days to come. And God wants each and every one of us to be like Liko and Nikki, just taking ownership of the area that we live. Like God has divinely placed us in our own household where we specifically live for a reason. Because he wants us to be a light in the community. And here's some practical tips I want to give to us because I want us all to feel like we can do this, okay. I don't want it just to be a you thing or you pastors doing this. No, this is a we thing. We're going to embrace this together. So here's what I want you to take home with. I want to teach you how to live beyond your walls without being weird, okay. Because you can do that. You can reach out to people without being weird, okay. We can do this in a way that still gives God glory. Four things that I want to leave you with tonight is this. How we can live beyond our walls without being weird. First thing is to learn. What I mean by that is, how many of us actually know the names of our neighbors? Like if we're divinely placed in the community that we live in, how many of us have actually taken the time to get to know the people that we live with? Know the name of your neighbors, keep a list of them. I have a, I printed out because 
within two years, we moved to a new place in Evo. So what I did is I printed a whole map of the community, and then I started to, the conversations that I would have, I would write down the people's names on a map because, you know what, I'll forget I'm really the worst with names. And so I started to keep track, and I was writing it down. And uh, every time I would see them, I would just try to remember their name and say that. Uh, and it's, if you forget their name, just say, hey, remind me of your name again, because we all do it. But learn the people. Learn about the, the neighbors that you have in your life. Because God wants us to be a light there. Here's the second thing that we can do. Give. A gift is an instant icebreaker. If you want to just break the ice with a neighbor that maybe you had never really had any conversations with, it was just more a high buy and you close the garage door because you don't have to talk to anybody. Here's what you can do. Just give a gift. It doesn't have to be something expensive, just something thoughtful and meaningful. The Bible says this, that the gift opens the doors into the hearts of people. So for us, we had a baby shower before uh, uh, Judah came in, and we had a ton of leftover Kahlua pig. And we had a lot more that people took, but I was like, you know what, save them up. And I personally went to all of my neighbors and used it as an excuse to get a conversation with them. Hey, I just want to, you know, we just moved in, we had a baby shower, we had a lot of extra food. Here, here's it. Everybody was like, oh, Kahlua pig, thank you so much. And what, you just broke the ice, and now you have an initiation that you can build off for the future. So if you're awkward and don't know what to do with your neighbors, maybe drop off some donuts or if somebody gives you something extra, fundraiser cookies, don't eat it for yourself. Maybe use that as a way to give a gift to someone to open the door into the hearts of the neighbors in our community. Third thing that we can do, serve. Do them a favor. Look for a way that you can serve them. Maybe carry their trash bin in, wash their driveway break their leaves, cut their grass. I don't know what it is, but use something that you can do to serve the neighbor. This is what I did. Uh, me and my neighbor, we put our, this is something I needed to get used to too because in the other community, we just threw our trash in the trash bin and then someone came and picked it up. But now we got to drive or roll out our trash bins through the street. And I noticed that my neighbor on the left, his trash bin was right next to mine. And so I would bring his trash bin in, put it in, and go back out and then bring my trash bin and put it in. And I know he was watching me because we both have cameras. <laughs> so on this one time I'm bringing it in, I threw the shaka. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> and you know what happened? When my bin was out there and he went, he brought back my bin. And now we have this battle on who's going to bring in the bins. But I use it as a means now to have what? Conversation. I'm serving my neighbor. And hoping that this serving will be an opportunity for me to have more conversations with them in the future. So serve them. Serving will soften their hearts for the gospel. Here's the last thing that we can do, and I need to do this myself. we got to pray for them. If you have a list of people's names, use that as an opportunity. So include them in your daily prayer. Uh, when I would walk my dog, I would kind of do a prayer walk in the community. And uh, now I'm realizing that as I'm prepping this message, I need to have specific prayers. Like as I'm walking my dog, I need to start praying for the houses that I'm walking by and the people that I know in the house. God, bless them. Open the door for them. God, let your love flow through me and bring other people, God. Not just me, but bring other people that would sow into their hearts as well. And it's a we thing, right? So here's what I realized. We can't impact everyone, but we can impact someone. So that's why we say a phrase here at Pearlside Church. Each one, we each one. Because I know sometimes we think, ah, oh, there's so many people. All right, let's just boil it down to one person. Do for one that you can't do for all. Go all in with one person and trust God with the results. 
I want to end by just talking about uh, something that's impacted my life. I think this is the highlight of my year. Uh, a couple months ago, I ended up starting a group, and we ended up bringing that group to my house. We were meeting out of my garage on Thursday, and the uh, thing about this group, before you bring the picture up, is <clears throat> it's kind of like uh, people that you wouldn't think I would get along with. They kind of just, like if you see these brothers, you're like, oh, that's your small group. These guys look like some rough guys. But I feel safe in them because I know that nobody going to mess with me if I'm around these guys. So I was divine by the Lord. <laughs> but we started it out of the garage, and that's another story in itself on how God divinely orchestrated that. And we've been meeting there consistently uh, in my house every Thursday. When we bought the house, one of the visions that the God, the God, the Lord gave me is that my house is going to be a place for gatherings. And so when we started to do the group at my house, it was like, wow, God, this vision that you gave me not becoming a reality. Just look at these brothers over here. I'm like the skinniest and the shortest guy in this whole crew. One of the conversations that we're having, we're just kind of describing our lives. And some of these guys, you know, there's some rough brothers, they got into fights. The closest I ever got to a fight was just like calling out somebody and telling them, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> but these guys are just throwing down and I'm just like, why, Lord, will you put me in a place where you want me to minister to them? Here's what happened. We started all opening up our hearts, and you would be surprised to see how really similar we are. Because when we started to unpack all of our hurts and our wounds, I realized that we're more similar than we thought. We focus more on the outside, but God saw the similarities on the inside. And so he divinely put us together, and this group has rekindled my fire for God. If I'm honest... I was getting kind of dry, dealing with church stuff and church things, and I lost the why of what we do. And I needed a group like this to reignite my passion for God, to see individuals in their brokenness, still hungry for the Lord, did something for me that nothing else in this world could ever ignite it. And so when Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father, he's talking about a satisfaction that you and I can only experience when we're out there doing what he came to do, seek and saving the lost. So if you want to know what true fulfillment looks like, money is good, it'll fill you, yeah. Doing well at your job and your career, yeah, that'll fill you, yeah. But there's nothing like helping people grow in their relationship with God, walking people across the line of faith, nothing else in this world ever give you that same feeling and so if that's what Jesus came to do as followers of Christ he's empowering each and every one of us to do that ourselves let's take that mission seriously so that he can get the glory through our lives living beyond our walls let's pray God we thank you so much for your word we thank you for this truth God I pray that something right now Lord will be united into our hearts that it's not about us getting comfortable but you want to burst that Christian bubble that we placed ourselves in and you got me you want to get us out of our comfort out of our preference out of our safety of the people that you've surrounded us with and you want us to get our hands dirty you want us to smell like sheep not to live like them but to be close enough to them that not only do we smell them on us but they will sense you through us, God. So, Lord, I pray right now that you would do something supernatural in our hearts.
there's this old school song that still resonates in my heart. So it says this, break our hearts for what breaks yours, God. And your heart breaks for people. So let our hearts as your church beat at that same capacity. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we all stand?